Welcome to the Fit for Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Davis, owner of Davis Fitness Method here in Seattle, Washington. This podcast is your resource for reliable fitness information. This information has been sourced from studies, experts, and real-world application from training with my clients and my own body. We're here to help you enhance your life by giving you practical takeaways that you can use today so that your energy, mood, and mindset begin to change right away. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into this episode. All right, and welcome back to the Fit for Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Davis. And today, I have a special treat for you. Uh, he is my coach, Adam Bisick. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He's got a bachelor's of science in exercise and nutrition field and a non-clinical grade post-graduate uh, continuing education. So he's a very smart guy to say the least, and I feel that his insights will help you on your fitness journey. So without further ado, Let's get this show started. First of all, I want to thank you for you know being here and um, and coming on. Um, I know you told me kind of how you got into to coaching and your educational background. If you wouldn't mind like briefly sharing um, with our guests, and then we can then we can get into some of the like um, nutrition and dieting stuff because that's what you're helping me with right now. So I felt like that'd be a great place for us to start. So yeah. No, I, it kind of started in in high school and I wasn't like the greatest athlete. Like we talk about, like, we just talked recently about like ge- being genetically blessed and what that means for changing your body composition. And, and in terms of athletics, not very blessed there. Um, but between my junior and senior year of high school, um, I, w- I did track. I was a football player, played baseball, and then, you know, did track because in high school, football coach says, hey, you better do track in the offseason if you're going to play, if you want to get on, if you want to be a starter, whatever, you know. And um, I sucked. My junior year, you know, I'm tall. Coach said, hey, you know, you should do hurdles, high hurdles. And I sucked. And through the year, I started to get a little bit better. And it started to excel. Maybe have been based upon my height, whatever. Um, and I did pretty well by the end of the year, but in that off season, I put a lot of effort because I I loved it. I started to put effort into training and even the diet that goes into it. And long story short, between junior year, horrible, senior year, conference champion, sectional champion, regional champion, all those things. And so I really fell in love with the process. Um, next year I go to college. Um, I was really big into architecture and drafting in high school. And so I went to a school and I wasn't terribly smart and kind of went to the same school as all my friends. Um, and in terms of college and they didn't have a great, they didn't have any architecture. So I kind of was just, was in orientation with my mom and my mom goes, you don't even want to do this. You like that exercise and diet stuff. So I started there and I excelled in college just because I was passionate about it and that's where I that kind of process is where I fell in love and I keep falling in love with the process because I love learning I love learning about what you and I do at deeper and deeper in levels and the really cool thing is there's so much nuance when it comes to coaching people 
that I will never learn everything. And that's obvious, but there's just so much to learn. And that's so exciting to me. You know, you think that's like a big part of what keeps you interested is just the variance between all the different people that you're working with. Um, just finding new ways to implement that? Or do you find that there are things that are like, okay, like this feels a bit more like this is routine. All we have to do is check these boxes. I think it depends on the person, right? Because I work with a wide, wide range of people. Um, there are some people that they need the basics, what we call uh, a mentor of mine, Luke Lehman. I remember he, I don't know if I should share this. It's not that bad. In one of our seminars, he calls like, the merry muffin tops out there you know working with someone who this is their first time to it right they they don't even know what a protein is they think almonds are a great source of protein which some people do and that's okay they're at that level to someone who's a, a pro bodybuilder who i work with so there's a there's a wide range so for these people over here i wouldn't say it's checking the box with them because it can be challenging to figure out how to get their complex situation to understand and, and to actually implement the habits they need, right? Mm. Whereas over here on this end of the spectrum with a bodybuilder, there's obviously much more complex things in terms of their training, they're very advanced, their diet, they're very strict and advanced. And so they're, they're different, um, different problems to solve. So I wouldn't say I'm really ever checking the box, um, but when it comes to my interest in learning, it's very selfish, I think. And teaching and coaching is really a part of the process of learning. And so it's almost like it's kind of mandatory for me. So I kind of got to do it. But um, but I, I enjoy I enjoy the entire process, especially like when I get to work with someone like you and you and I can figure out in your given context, these are the things that we need to do to get better here. It's a much smaller window to work with than Mary Muffin Top because you've already done so much to get where you were we can solve that complex problem and now you're ripped and that's right. fun because i can see you do that and you're obviously happy about it so it's kind of cool to help impart that in someone's life right so is um with with the um with the more advanced client um do you feel like you're also kind of learning through like the applicant like their application of what it is that you're trying to do mm -hmm. So like, that's kind of where you're like sharpening your sword, if you will. Yeah, I mean, notifications everywhere here. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, inevitably, that is what coaching is. And if anyone tells you different, they're lying, right? Because good coaching leans on understanding the principles really well and applying them to unique situations. And if you have protocols, that you stick to with Mary Muffin Top and Bobby the Bodybuilder, and it's the same protocol, you're not really doing your job, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, with, with everybody, it is understanding the principles really, really well and the unique opportunity to see how through trial and error, you can apply them to the individual. So when you're talking to like Mary and she's looking uh, to get started, like, you know, you're saying like, she thinks almonds are a good source of protein, that sort of stuff. Like, yeah. where do you even begin with somebody like that? Um, are you, are you sending them like a document and they're like, this is protein, this is carbs, this is fat, this is where you should eat them and in, in what portions? 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I will tell you this, like I work, I don't work <laughs> with a lot of people that are in Mary's situation because the the level of intrinsic motivation and relative education in diet and exercise of someone that comes to me is usually not a pure novice because they one they know who I am like so they fit they went out into they sought to see me um, rather than their co-workers or, or whomever um, so rarely I, I work with someone that remedial mm. but if I do it's more often than not more communication more talking on the phone mm. um, and it really is trial and error right and I think the one thing that's really important um, and I'm not certainly the person that made this up and I'm going to bastardize it is, is working on limited habits at one time. I'm not going to say one habit at a time because that's not super productive, but limited amount of habits. So I'm working on someone with, it might be as simple as like, Hey, we're going to, we're just straight up going to count your steps. And I, I come at a high price point to tell someone to step more, but that might be the thing that moves the needle initially. Then we work on another habit and we have it stack, et cetera. So it's, I don't know if that fully answers the question, but it is, it is very different than someone who's more advanced. Um, and, it, and it's a, on a case by case basis. Yeah. I definitely want to get into the more advanced person as well. The, mm -hmm. the one thing I found that you said uh, that I found interesting was that I, I have um, read uh, somewhere that, for every additional habit that you add on top, you significantly reduce the success rate of the first habit. Mm -hmm. So like you increase your likelihood for failure by trying to front load with too many habits up front. Yeah. So like if you went from one habit to when you add a second habit, you reduce to 70%. Mm -hmm. So then when you add a third habit, like all at that same time, it drops to like below 50%. It's like... Yeah. People can juggle two balls, but three, the <laughs> yeah, out the window. I can't juggle one, to be honest. So, <laughs> uh, so all right, <clears throat> when you're starting with that more advanced person, uh, I'm assuming that, like your your intake is by far the most detailed intake that I've ever gone through. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm like, there's like five pages. No, I, I think it was like three, but it was like riddled with question all the way down now like where did, first of all where'd you come up with an intake like that and well, um it's an adaptation from um you know mentors i've had in the past mm -hmm. and if you look on it too there's references of where all those actual questionnaires from so it's really a an aggregate of different questionnaires from different people and i will admit it does get to be almost redundant or too much, but there have been times where there's one little thing where I can go, oh, that's an important piece of information that people may not have thought about. Yeah. Um, and so I would rather collect more data about the individual initially than less. And because that may, may very well show us something we need to know right from the gates, because I've had people that, you know, in past I've had, you know, shorter questionnaires that something comes out four five six months down the road whatever right. it's a big deal that you know they may not have thought hey this is a relevant piece of information for me to tell this individual right and it really was you right know? yeah like um so one for me was like and um i think it actually is what got me to eat a little bit more like an yeah. adult 
um, is, like <laughs> yeah, like I ate, I ate, I, I, I ate my macros, but I ate more child, what I would say is childishly. I still had like my, like I had like breakfast with like my eggs and oatmeal. And then I had like my chicken and rice and stuff, but like in between, I'm like, Oh, well, like I can have less of these carbs and more bowls of cereal and stuff like that. So was like um, literally assessing the condition of my stools. And I was like, hmm, yeah. well, I hadn't really thought about it, but because this questionnaire like prompted it. And then when we did make um, mm-hmm. some changes, I have noticed um, changes in my energy. Mm-hmm. I noticed changes in the consist- consistency of my stools. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'm probably getting healthier here too. Um, just by paying attention to more of these things. So it's kind of shifted um, my identity in a way. So I, th- I think that even, even the intake can spur some changes, even, even if it's like, I, it might not have been in a bad spot, but yeah. like even checking the little yellow section, you're like, uh, well, I don't yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. And for those who um, aren't familiar with, it's actually kind of a pertinent thing to do is to assess your stool, oddly enough. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with something called the Bristol scale. I'm not. You can just Google it, Bristol scale. It literally has like a chart, numbers, I think it's zero through 10, one through 10. I don't even know. But it has pictures of your doo-doo next to those numbers. Okay, I think I've, I've seen and, ones like this. Like, I think PN had okay. something. Yeah, probably, probably. I think it's like a three to four more snake-like you want it to look like. Yeah. Um, but there's actually legitimate way to quantify this, and it can tell you some things about how your GI is functioning. So it is it is important, even though like when you're coaching somebody, um, it's the TMI thing they think. It's like, no, nah, I've, I've talked about people's poop for a decade now, so it's, it's not a big deal. Right. Okay. Um, what what when most people are coming in, um, do they? What is the challenge point? I know you like have, um, you know, everybody's different. Um, mm-hmm. is there anything that you're like consistently, this is where we end up really having to dial things in? Yeah. Um, and you alluded to this in a way, um, and I think we talked about it, uh, in regards to like, what are like, when someone comes to me, what's the biggest challenge in like fat loss or weight loss, right. That I see with people and, um, to, to put it in summation, it is a lot of people come to me wanting to lose body fat, but not being ready to. Mm. And what I mean by that is maybe mentally, but mostly physiologically. I mean, how many people common day come to you trying this, 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 or that diet and none of them worked. So they are looking to you for some magical other way to create a negative energy balance that these other ones didn't do. Right. And so these individuals, whether it be actual focused, concerted diets, or simply just always chronically trying to be mindful of calories in a way where they're trying to be at a a negative energy balance, they're always trying to diet, right? And so they come to you and you went through this with me, this initial phase where I do kind of like a metabolic audit, I guess I call it. And they come to me and anyone can do this. You can type in, I think it's estimated tde calculator.net or something it's this this concept for those who don't know of something called your estimated total daily energy expenditure 
it's basically your metabolism. How many calories are you burning? And there are plenty of calculators that take your age, height, weight, gender, and activity level and say, hey, here's about a range of calories you should be able to burn to maintain weight. And these may be a little more antiquated these days because they were forms formulated a ways back, but I think they still do apply. And a lot of people come to me in a, that initial audit phase. I can even tell when I do um, the questionnaire process and I'll ask them, you know, have you been doing anything concerted for diet the last three to six months? And they, they actually know their macros, right? And this is great because they're already starting off being aware, huge. But I look at it and they're five, 600 calories below what their estimated maintenance calories should be. So if they're act, their tracking is accurate and they're not losing weight and they've been doing that for a long time, chances are they ain't ready because they're not expending some, some, there's something about their physiology right now. And I don't want to be, um, I can't guess what it is. I just know that it's not working the way it should probably, but they're not in a situation for me to get them to 800 calories below that estimated number or a thousand because they're already probably metabolically compromised. And so there is a lot of this that come to me, a lot of individuals that come to me in this scenario. And it's, it's difficult to, to, to deal with an individual like this. You have to have a lot of empathy and understanding because they obviously want to lose weight. They probably have some sort of emotional relationship with that process and their possible lack of success. And you're going to tell them that, Hey, we need to go through a phase where we increase calories and you're probably going to gain a little bit of weight. And that's not easy to tell someone. And it's certainly not easy to go through for them to go through that process, even though it's probably the best thing for them. How would, how would you explain the benefits of going through that process? Cause you know, like you said, it's probably going to be one of the best things for them. Mm -hmm. how, how do you get them to, to buy into that? Um, and then on top of that, um, if somebody comes to you and they're like, they have a deadline and they're like, well, yeah. I need to do this for this. Like, or are you like, maybe we should reprioritize altogether. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the benefit is you can explain it as this in a way. Is it sustainable? And I'll ask the person, is it sustainable for you to consume significantly less calories than you are and exercise significantly more? And most of the time, almost all the time, it's not sustainable for someone to do more than they're already doing to create a negative energy balance. It's just, it's not. And so they have to come to the realization that their answer is no longer trying to restrict more. And the longer they try to do that is the longer the time before they're actually qualified or ready to do that. And there are many mechanistic things within the body that have caused what they call this metabolic adaptation. That is their metabolism, the amount of calories they burn is just decreased because your body just wants to survive. I don't want to even want to begin to assume in any given person, what all those things are happening. I just know that they are. Yeah. And so in doing that process, many people actually start to look better. Um, because it's strategic. It's not like I, I just go, Hey, we're going to eat a thousand more calories and let's roll. You know, obviously it's a strategic increase and there's other factors other than diet that I, I work on or modify, but 
the benefit is actually reaching your goal in time and not only reaching the goal that you want to in time, but keeping it because chances are if they came to me, they've had, and they've had success with a diet in the past, they didn't have success with a diet in the past because they gained it back because they're with me. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, I guess that's the benefit. It's more of one of those things, one of those like stern realities of life, like rock and the hard, pl- uh, between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. You just, you got to do it. It when, just, just when you want to kick the can down the road further, or do you want to face it right now? Right. So, um, so there's, there's a few things I want. Um, uh, there's a couple of directions like forks in the road we can go here, but, yeah. um, when I started with you, there were like little things like, um, well, cranberry can cranberry juice contains high concentration of iodine, which helps support metabolism. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was not thinking about that. Like, I was just like, calorie, calorie, carb, carb, boom, yeah. great, let's go. Um, but like, how many how many people that you've coached do you think like those small shifts? Because like, honestly, this the amount of calories that I'm consuming right now is pretty close to what I did for like my 30th when I did my photo shoot for my 30th. But I feel a lot more full. I'm not hungry as often. I don't have like dips in energy. Um, I probably was like experiencing like low blood sugar at certain points um, during my uh, previous photo shoot, whereas that doesn't happen now. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how do you know like what to detail or what to add or um, is, is everybody doing cranberry juice? Is this like your, <laughs> uh, no, no, not everyone's doing cranberry juice. And I have to give that one to, um, do you know what Stan efforting is? Yes. So his vertical diet, um, I went to a seminar, his, I don't know how many years ago it was, but he talked about that. I'm like, ah, oh, well, that makes sense. I'd rather, if I can get more micronutrients through food, I'd rather do that. Um, and that's a way to do it. Cause you can get iodine in a capsule, you know, but if we can do it this way, maybe better. Um, but no, I, I don't obviously don't do that with everybody. And, and what was the question again? I went on a little. Yeah. So sorry. Um, uh, basically like, how do you know, like what to detail out in terms of like, you get, you gave me like, um, a, a meal plan kind of guide, um, thing mm-hmm. to go with. Um, how do you know what to do and, and for who, um, when you're, I mean, aside from like the cat, like you're trying to get a total amount of energy, but there's other things that you're looking at because like through chronometer, you're like, look at all of these little details and what's, uh, you're supporting your metabolism, immune function, that sort of things. How do you know how to detail that? Well, I mean, that's, and that is just a function of understanding the many things that affect, um, your physiology, your metabolism, right? So let's say someone's doing everything right there. They're clean eating, right? It's whole foods, their calories are managed, um, the appropriate amount of exercise, but they're sleeping five hours a night. That's the thing I look at. It's a matter of inventorying as much data that's relevant as I can to see where there might be a blind spot or something for us to improve. Like with you, we're going through diet. Okay, well, I think simply us just actually being a little more analytical with tracking and then looking at micronutrient status, maybe filling some of those gaps, whether it be with, with food or with, with supplements, that was one thing that was a gatekeeper for you. It seems to be to move to the next level, right? 
And so it really is just a matter of inventorying all the relevant things that would impact it in whatever one of those things has the most area to improve. That's what we attack. You know, some people, for instance, you know, the maybe you've done this in a previous cut before, too. They're doing a buttload of conditioning or cardiovascular work to the detriment of their actual progress. Because if I here's one data point, I look at something like HRV and resting heart rate and their autonomic nervous system as, as a proxy. If that's off, if they're really sympathetically driven, high stress, that could be the thing that's holding them back. And in that situation, what might be counterintuitive for some people, pulling back on total amount of activity to improve autonomic nervous system balance is the thing that moves them forward. You know, so it really is just looking at a whole bunch of things and seeing which ones that are relevant have the greatest area of opportunity. So do you have like, um, like a, a list that you run through or is this just always like, okay, I'm looking at this athlete right now. I'm looking at the the data points that we have via you know, what they're checking in, like what they're checking in with and what we've got from the initial intake and questionnaire. Mm -hmm. Are there things that you ask on top of that? Um, or are you just leaning on this kind of initial intake and what they're, how they're checking in? Yeah. I mean, we, we lean on the initial intake to formulate maybe the things we concentrate on or focus on most, but as you know, on a weekly basis, I inventory all the current supplementation you have, what's your sleep, what's your fluid intake, what are you taking for your diet? Obviously, with chronometer, I can um, analyze macronutrient, micronutrient uh, composition of your diet, as well as the actual foods. Um, I obviously have you inventory your weight. So I'm seeing how your weight trends throughout the week um, relative to what happened in the, the more like short term. Um, we're looking at each day, what are you doing for activity and seeing? And so those are, those are a lot of things that I'm inventorying. If everything seems right, I might have to dig deeper. That's where I might look at biometrics like fasting, blood glucose, resting heart rate, blood pressure, HRV. Those are more data points that it's not necessarily practical for someone to do all the time for most people I'm working with, but there are more things I can start looking at. But most of the time, those initial things that you see on your check-in, like sleep, GI health, diet, activity, those will be the things that will show me what we need to do next. Gotcha. So um, another thing, if if you have, um, and maybe this is getting a little bit more um, airy-fairy, but like if you have somebody and they're eating a certain way, um, have you found that they're a bit more like with the shifts in mood, with the shifts in energy, with the things that you're paying attention to, they have a easier time adhering to the like nutritional plan itself? Versus if you're like, oh, like somebody's over here just like counting macros. Cause I found like for me personally that it was easier for me to stick to this when I'm like, okay, these are the things that I'm kind of doing. And I don't necessarily feel like tired or like if like I'm not in the state where I'd be like, oh, like let me just grab this thing right here. Mm -hmm. um, I find that happens less often now for me. So I'm wondering if um, beyond a personal anecdote, if you've seen like, that with any of your clients or uh, if that's something that anybody has mentioned. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're just speaking to ease of adherence uh, to the diet based upon, you know, consistency with it, kind of what we're doing. Yep. Is that what you're kind of speaking to? Um, yeah. I think one curveball in that is 
working with a female that is going still going through like a menstrual cycle because irrespective of their adherence um cravings mood and stuff changes based upon that and to, to differing degrees in the individual too um but by and large absolutely when there's consistency of diet when we're doing more health promoting uh behaviors um, maybe even if you want to go this far to say is we're maybe more whole food um, as a percentage of diet based gastrointestinal function seems to be better um, as a proxy we could say you know their microbiome and gut bugs are getting better and we know that those things those latter things the the microbiome of our gi system um, has a massive effect on cravings on on things of that nature because of what i believe is called the enteric nervous system um, as well as the hormones that are secreted from or influenced by your gut microbiome so what you're experiencing could be a function of improving that um and anytime you're you know we're regulating or at least i, I because of the scope of my practice i'm not a doctor or nutritionist but to say that the way you've exercised and trained we are normal glycemic you're controlling your blood sugar so there's less peaks and troughs there um there's a lot of things that go into it but yeah by and large when someone is more consistent with everything over time much like a habit it becomes easier there's less cravings etc that makes sense so with somebody when you've got them to um their goal um and you've talked about with you know the other people was like they got to their goal but then they they had you and you're like you didn't really stick to it or you didn't really hit your goal or maintain it um how do you make sure that when somebody's coming out that they are actually able to maintain it um and that they can ultimately determine that this whole process was a success yeah and that that's going to depend on the person too because if we talk about contextually a bodybuilder for instance and their goal is a level of or even you a level of photo shoot leanness a level of stage leanness that apex of their goal is not almost by definition sustainable and so they won't maintain that of course we will work on a reverse in the thing like the habits the training the exercise etc that they did in the reverse fashion almost like a bell curve to get them back to a sustainable level but if we're talking about the average person that's trying to lose weight right and i spoke earlier about looking at someone's maintenance calories we try to well we try to we do work on all the lifestyle habits that will help them sustain right so we already know just aside from diet stress management getting good sleep the appropriate amount and type of exercise is important to still and to instill because if we don't work on those things chances are they're not going to be successful in the long term but if we're talking just about diet right I have to make sure at least at some point in time and initially this is what I do with that audit phase of coaching is we get them to an appropriate amount of calories consumed relative to what their estimated maintenance is and we don't have to always use that range but it's very helpful right if if I get you to a goal physique and a goal feel and it's it's legitimate right four percent body fat's not legitimate for the average person to maintain or really anybody right but we get you to your goal and we get to you you're happy with something indefinitely with this look 
right? And this feel, you're actually cognitive, you feel good, you're not tired all the time. We got to slowly get to the point where we're doing it in a sustainable means. And that might be just like almost like a, a reverse diet for the average person, right? But I have to get them back to a legitimate, sustainable amount of food that they're eating to maintain the physique or whatever goal, health-based goal they accomplished. That makes sense. So for somebody who, um, for somebody who is um, maybe trying to go more on the lean end, what is a realistic expectation for them to maintain year round? So like they've, they've gone to like a, a photo shoot lean, let's say, um, I guess it would depend on their goal after, like if somebody's trying to build some muscle, they're probably going to have to put on a little bit more fat than if they just wanted to maintain a leaner look. Yeah. Um, could, could we maybe jump down those two rabbit holes maybe? Um, and I, I hate to use the term. It depends because it's not very helpful for people, but the reality, the reality is we have to acknowledge is it does depends. It doesn't does depends. Those are diapers. Um, <laughs> uh, but for your genetic predisposition, um, and maybe even, and I'm speaking out of my ass here, epigenetic predisposition at the time, um, will determine what is, what is your body comfortable at? What is it? Where's your homeostasis? Because for some people, it's just going to be higher body fat than others. Right. And I do believe there is this in reality, a uh, concept of set point that moves for people. I think I'm personally an example of that because I was kind of a skinny fat 175. When I graduated high school, I moved up to almost hundred pounds heavier that when I body built. Now I'm about 235 in I'll stay here if I don't do anything else, which is much higher than I graduated high school. And that's kind of a good, a good baseline or metric for people to use. Right. But it's difficult to say what we need to do to get to that sustainable uh, implementation or what that looks like for somebody. But I'll say this, if we get to that look for somebody and they can legitimately say, hey, I can indefinitely eat this amount of calories, exercise this much. I can still go out and enjoy this, this or that. They can maintain the lifestyle. It's legitimate for anybody to, to keep the goal that they achieved, right? And that's inevitably the effort. And it might take, and it just simply does take longer to get to that point for people when you do it that way. But the cool thing is you get to keep it, right? Mm -hmm. So I know it's, it doesn't answer it exactly, but it's because it is a case by case basis, but as long as you're the means by which you're attaining the goal are near or at sustainable, you'll probably keep what you got. Gotcha. So if, um, like, for example, like for myself, it's like my calories that are a certain amount, technically I'm, I have a certain rate of weight loss. Yeah. It would be like reversing back to maintenance would maintain that or literally staying at the lower number. Reversing back. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because think about it this way, the rate of loss of tissue you have right now is expedient, it's fast. That's not even if we kept, we, if we kept you at the same amount of food, you're going to continue to lose, right. as shown by the fact that the trajectory of your weight loss, it'll stop at some point. But, but we also know that if you're losing at this energy balance right now, that means your maintenance is somewhere above. It. So in theory, in order to maintain exactly where you're at right now, it would already require more food 
or a more positive energy balance than you have. So we already know that, let's say arbitrarily, you're taking in your average calories. We, you know, summate high and low days is 2000 calories, but you're losing at, you know, a pound a week average. We probably got to get you up to like 2,400. And these are just spitball numbers just to maintain where you're at right now. Cause your tra trajectory is down. So for you, we already know it's going to be that high and we could take you right there right away, whether it be through increasing food or decreasing activity, because those are the things that impact energy balance. But when we get you back, we're going to do it subtly. And sure, you might have a little more body fat, but we also have an opportunity now where you're very lean, probably much more insulin sensitive and able to build muscle um, in a healthier position. We talk about metabolic health as well. So you're in a position, if done strategically, to put on muscle well and keep a pretty healthy body composition. If the time frame afterwards is decently strategic, right? You're going to have a little bit off, like you're going to have some uh, a little bit more liberal with food at some points. But by and large, you kind of do this as a default in your lifestyle. So it's not going to be that difficult in your situation. Gotcha. So um, for somebody who is is not maybe not just looking to maintain after their you know, they've got to their goal. Um, but somebody who is like, they mainly dieted to have a better start point for growth. What is there a certain rate of weight gain that they should be looking for? Um, how do they know they've, they've need to um, stop gaining um, yeah. and maybe go through like a mini cut of sorts? Um, these are these are questions a lot of people have or like, yeah. when do they know when they need to cut again? That's, that's completely legitimate. And, and this comes with, Hey, do we have some objective measurements, right? So if they got to the apex of their journey with fat loss is X percentage of body fat, right? Um, and then we know in an off season or, or gaining phase or what I call metabolic leverage phase, um, the, this is the, the apex of body fat that they're willing to accept, right? We have two points of interest for objective measurements. Those are probably important if you're really considerably going after this, but to some real good take home numbers here, and I didn't certainly didn't make these up. Um, you notice probably that I look at percentage body weight change, not just pounds, because that's not a relative term. When, when we're trying to gain in the off season, again, this is, there's going to be nuance based upon the person, a quarter percent body weight per week as an average because it's not going to be that every week, but as an average, is probably a safe rate of gain, right? Really, anything above zero in that is a, is a rate of gain and is, is is measurable and probably safe, but I'd say about a quarter percent. Per okay. Week. So if somebody's gaining at um, a quarter percent and, I'm, and some of it is, uh, you know, lean tissue and some of it is not, how do they know when um, they should stop and maybe do like a mini cut if they're going to continue? Um, mm -hmm. And then how do they know if they should come back down? Or can we expect some people to recomp based on their training age? You, you certainly could because we they may have improved insulin sensitivity quite well up until that point. They may have changed their physiology in a way that they're going to be able to cope with food and exercise better, maybe maybe have positively impacted their hormonal atmosphere internally moving forward. The act of reversing in and of itself couldn't very well and does improve metabolism. 
um, and all the hormones and mechanisms that go into that. So they very well could recomp better than they've ever done um, in that phase. But knowing when is the right time can be subjective. We can make it objective. Again, if you measure body fat and you see the rate of percentage body fat go up and, and you can set whatever this rate is, hmm. um, go higher than you want it to be, then yeah, you can stop. Knowing what percentage and what rate of percentage gain and timeline is going to be extremely individual. Hmm. But keeping an eye on those things, I remember one of my um, great mentors, awesome dude. I don't know if you've heard of John Meadows mm-hmm. or I work with John in 2012 and 2013. He's an amazing man. And, um, he's one who early worked on this process with me. Right. And he, he said that he would take basically an umbilical pinch, which is, you know, kind of like an inch away from your umbilical and looking at the millimeters of that umbilical pinch. And that's the, the metric by which he gauged his fatness, not a whole seven sites, 21 site, whatever polyquin thing you want to do, but just one pinch in that problem area and govern that. And it's easy for someone to do. And you can get one of those, you know, plastic ones off Amazon, probably for 15 bucks to see a millimeter pinch of your umbilical and, and just use that as a gauge, right? They give them for free in those GNC boxes. <laughs> there, there you go. Go get some protein powder and you might get one. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, um, so if somebody did come to you and they were um, at a point where um, maybe they they wanted they weren't sure if they wanted to gain or if they should cut, um, do you do you help them guide that decision based on like if they had a measurement of body fat percentage or what what their perceived look is or ultimately what they're trying to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. And again. I know I say this a lot, but it's going to depend on the individual, but I absolutely help them because I, I have a discerning eye given how many people I've worked with over time um, relative to whatever goal they have. Like if, for instance, hey, I want to compete at 16 weeks out or, or at this show and I want to win a show at a local level or I want to earn my pro card. Knowing those things, I can discern you know, when to decide when we need to start, we need to start rolling or not. When it comes to like the average person who just wants to be leaner or leanish um, and maintain that, that's a little bit different story. And that's going to take a little more case by case scenario. But yeah, I absolutely help them. And it is looking at, you know, if we do want to be that finite objective body fat measurements, even circumference measurements, if if you haven't seen it, use, um, if you're going to do circumference measurements, use something called myotape. Um, it's a, actually a, you know, measurement that has, it keeps the same tension every time you can get, I think that's again on Amazon for like 15 bucks, um, using those things as well as just the eye, making sure that your comparison photos, same time of day, same camera, same lighting, et cetera, and using those more subjective things as well. Gotcha. Um, so, um, the elephant in the room, your glutes, um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so how uh, so how much of that is was was um for you or for somebody who wants to achieve that um just genetic predisposition um maybe uh, things that you've done in the past um and then how how many like clients come to you really just trying to 
um, achieve glute growth. Mm-hmm. What, what, you know, would I, you, what would you also say? Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people like when they, when they come in, if they are trying to achieve glute growth, where, um, where's their like biggest failings or um, what direction would you point them in? Um, starting with mine, I definitely, and I'm not just saying this because I want the credit. Um, I mean, you look at pictures, I was pretty damn physically active as a kid mm-hmm. and I had a pancake ass. Like I have pictures of it. It's not anything special at all. When I fell in love with the process, um, I was a track athlete. And so it involves a lot of lower body training. And, you know, I came to finally, I came to understand relatively quick that it's not lower body training, maybe more so in males. Yeah, more so in males is not favorable for the majority. And the fact that I had already started excelling at it was kind of cool. And so I kind of doubled down on that being my thing. At, an, at a young, at like 19 years old. Mm. So I really loved, and of course, when you're good at something, it's easy to like it and double down on it. And so I loved lower body training and I trained lower body training heavy and hard since I was like 19 years old. And it kind of fed into like, hey, he's, that guy's got a great lower body or, you know, like he's a lower body guy. It kind of fed into me continuing that process. Um, in my mid 20s, God, is it mid twenties already? Yeah, I tore my pec, uh, completely ruptured it, reconstructed the shoulder, rotator cuff, different areas, different muscles were torn. Those weren't reconstructed. The labrum's gone on my shoulder. All to say, my upper body training suffered greatly, and so I doubled down even more on my lower body training. And as this has came back to whatever level it is in terms of its health, I've just always trained lower body more, and I love doing it. And I'm 36 now, so we're talking about 17 years now of training that passionately and intensely. And so that's really where mines came from. It's never been actually, to be completely honest, concerted glute training. As you know, from a mechanical standpoint, my lever lengths just lend me to bending over at the hip more with a lot of movements. And so like glutes extend my hip a lot more in activities than maybe someone who's shorter or different limb lengths. So it just made my glutes bigger. That's really how that happened for me. Um, I'd say a fair amount of people, maybe a quarter percent, maybe not quite that much, but at least like a quarter percent, 25% of the people that work with me do have a lower body emphasis when they come to me at least, or at least say that would be a nice thing in addition to looking better right and so a fair amount of people if we talk about total amount of clients that do come to me and for a lot of people i'd say is maybe when it comes it's it's an it's an amalgamation of many things because as you know building muscle takes a really good like strict dietary adherence and patience over time because building muscles is harder than losing body fat if, if we're being honest with ourselves so a concerted effort of executing exercises correctly um, in the order that there should be done, the way they should be done, volume, frequency, intensity, all those exercise variables. Most people have one or more of those things that they're they're probably not doing too well in conjunction with a good diet that supports growing muscle because many people who come to me 
They want a nice big ass and a six pack abs, which attaining those two things at the same time, that is losing a lot of body fat or gaining muscle, doesn't really happen at the same time. And so you kind of kind of got to pick your poison here, what you want to achieve first. So again, probably not from an overall programming standpoint, doing the best things and probably not doing those best things with a concerted time frame of growing muscle through diet and training because they also want to be lean at the same time. Right. Cause it, it seems like, you know, all of those things are kind of, um, it's a sporadic energy. It's hard to contain into what would be like a very powerful charge into one direction. Mm -hmm. So you kind of act to funnel that energy mm -hmm. into one concerted effort. And then those people see the results that they're looking for. Yeah. It just takes, it takes you telling them that, um, how many, how many people like, they're like, oh, well, I see so-and-so they look like they're, you know, always this year round. And they're telling me how to grow a, you know, get bigger, but they're always lean year round. Um, like, what do you say in, in, in those situations where somebody's like, this is what they've seen online, um, versus this yeah. is what you're saying to do. Well, here's one thing we have to we have to acknowledge again we talked about this for genetic predisposition to looking a certain way that's one thing one thing that's also important for people to understand is once once you've gained muscle or a, a certain physique it's much easier to do so the means by which sustaining the physique that you have is significantly easier than the means by which they got the physique that they had so for me I trained, I was a masochist. Like there's some real daddy issue stuff for me that helped me funnel this thing during training to go to levels that people probably shouldn't go. And I probably don't want them to because they're psychologically unwell, frankly. I don't do that stuff anymore. And I don't have to, to maintain what I have because that's just how physiology works, right? You got, I got to that apex. I sustained that way of training for a while. My physiology changed in that manner. And now body, the body loves homeostasis. Getting it to change in any direction is difficult. So getting it to lose all that muscle takes would take basically doing nothing, right? And I love exercising. So at least I'm going to do something. And thank God it doesn't take that much to maintain what I have because the orthopedic limitations I have now make it so I can't do those things anymore but I can still keep it. Gotcha. Um, how many, so how many people um, that you end up coaching actually are struggling with some sort of injury um, and, and maybe have goals to, to fix that? Do they come to you in person or online? Are you still coaching in person? Yeah, a little bit because I, I moved, which was difficult to take a full-time in-person practice and leave it behind. Uh, but I do have some people in person um and a lot of them online and actually you know the silver lining in me having to go through the many orthopedic issues that i have in rehabbing them is that from, from a business standpoint also as an as a opportunity to help other people standpoint people and, and i've you know i talk about it and in my social media content i have people come to me now to help with their given issues and I love doing that. It's a it's a complex thing. And it's even made even more complex and difficult when online, because 
when it comes to execution of exercise and doing things appropriately, which is needed for the individuals that have orthopedic issues, whether it's bad knees or their shoulder hurts, their range of motion sucks. The way that they execute exercise in the moment in every different exercise is extremely important. And that usually takes some being in person, but luckily now we can use these things to record and I can watch people move and just, you have to have really good communication. I can help people through those things now as best possible, at least significantly better than they could on their own, trying to Google search what to do. And I also think that just even your delivery on, uh, on the stuff on it, online, I guess, um, it's very detailed. So yeah, if you wanted somebody to do something, it's not like you're like, oh, okay, um, you know, just you know, take more time out of the bottom, you know, of of your squat coming back up. You literally will like stop and be like, it's that time where you are coming out of the bottom, where we really want to focus a detailed, concerted effort on coming out from the bottom there. So like, slow out of the bottom sounds really different than when you're emphasizing that point. Um, and, and the experience I think is also different just from that delivery. Huge. Because when you, if there's a degree of empathy and understanding and experience with that in theory, going slow out of the bottom, Hey, that's great. That, that, the, that way of coaching and cueing is great, but <laughs> there's gotta be a little bit deeper layer to that probably for most people. Yeah. What you want to do is probably like give them something tangible, like, you know, squeeze your glutes, tilt your pelvis a little bit this way, make sure you're you're tensing your abdominal wall a little bit there. That's going to help you push out and have more and those type of things, because I've done it and I've practiced it enough with people are massive. And, and again, like you said, when I have somebody online, I, I there's a greater depth and breadth and nuance to the cues and coaching that I have to give in order for what's happening in practice for them to be what I want here. And so I really have to be good about coaching Q and that's, that also speaks to, you know, there are a lot of coaches online, coaches online that have never trained in person. How the hell are you going to coach someone to that breadth and depth and level online, which is significantly more difficult in person if yep. you've never done it in person. Yep. So that's mad. And you know that, I mean, you see that in your practice. Also, also like, how do you get, so I find this um, uh, kind of interesting because, you know, online you see all these online coaches and all these people with online businesses and they all look great. And how do you know which one to choose? And um, how do you know what your experience is going to be like? And like, what mm -hmm. should it be like when you're shopping around for that person? And I personally think that um, the level of detail that goes into their explanation in just their videos which probably aren't the ones that get the most views mm -hmm. um, but that is that is a peek inside what the experience is going to be like with that person and i'm not going to say that i totally expected everything you're because everything you're doing mm -hmm. um but like the level of granularity if that's a word is yeah so <laughs> is um is much greater and and your level of explanation when you were explaining things online was much greater um so i'm not surprised by that mm -hmm. um how do you think 
like how do you separate yourself online is that is that your main strategy is just to say i have a strategy of marketing online <laughs> would be a complete lie because that is probably the worst <laughs> thing sales and marketing are the worst thing i'm at like if you look at my feed it's like one week i post once next week it's maybe four times there's no rhyme or reason so i can't say i have even a marketing strategy at all i, I certainly have had mentors in the past mark coles being one of them um, that i'll work with here soon has helped with that um well i think one thing that's important for people that are trying to they're they're searching for a coach right the two things that people use most are one which is needed but certainly not a good gauge of a coach is how do they look right you, you got to practice what you preach first and foremost that gets you in the door right the second thing that people look at is their results with others and this is one that again you want someone who has results with others but it can be extremely misleading and what i mean by that is there are a lot of coaches and coaching teams that have let's say 200 clients they work with and let's say they post i'm gonna do some math here i'm horrible at math 10 to 20 great transformations you see on their page that success rate is kind of horseshit isn't it that's a five to ten percent success rate but that's a lot of people seeing 20 different people on a feed or even even 40 that's a 20 percent success rate it's still a bad success rate but 40 people on someone's feed is a lot of people and so that can be extremely misleading as well, but certainly something that's worth looking at. What I think is important is exactly what you alluded to. Do they have those things? But when they, with their content, how well can they articulate the things they're trying to get across in a way, one that you go, oh, well that dude or that, that gal really knows what they're talking about, but also in a way that you understand. So if you notice maybe in my content sometimes, and I could certainly always be better at this, I might say, you know, humoral flexion, then I'll go in parentheses, your upper arm going up. So it speaks to a, a wider crowd, maybe those like yourself. Well, I know what kind of humoral flexion is, but Mary Muffin Top from earlier, earlier just knows, hey, my upper arm went up. And so being able to articulate things in a way that people understand, but also people go, oh, well, they actually know their stuff. That's probably the tertiary, like the third thing. I wouldn't say tertiary. It's it's probably primary, but that's the difference maker because there are a ton of people that look freaking amazing. There's a lot of people who have good transformations. There's not as many that can tell you how to do what you need to do in a way you understand. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that are gonna be able to teach you how to change the way you want to. And that's right. inevitably what you want. Right. How important do you think it is to um, look at the, the prospective coaches educational background or um, what they do, um, you know, you know post-schooling? Um, well, the unfortunate thing, maybe it's unfortunate is, the layperson, even person who's decently educated in exercise looking for a coach, they don't understand what certain credentials even are, right? For us, like a CSCS as a credential is probably one of those gatekeepers to at least this person's in the door of knowing what they are talking about because you need to have a four-year degree in a related field 
and pass one of the harder tests. It's not that hard, but relatively speaking, it is. But there's not a lot of, there's certainly not a licensure for coaching, which I'm not lobbying for, but there isn't one. And, you know, I have a, a freaking alphabet behind my name, but that's because I love education. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to help some individuals in their given circumstance. It's just because I love education. You know, I've seen plenty of coaches that have this massive continuing education in an alphabet behind their name. But when it comes to working with a person that they can't, like they're, they're just not personable yep. and they can't communicate. So what's not even good. Um, I found it interesting because there's been people that I've seen take the exact same courses I have. Mm. Um, but then when, you know, called to explain some of those things, it wasn't there. And so, um, and I know that some some of these things, it's like the information was good. It was great. Um, but to um, show your understanding mm -hmm. to pass the test was very low bar. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you really did understand all the material that was coming out of that course, you'd be, you know, such a great coach. The bar was so low at the testing level that this person still passed and now can say they're a xx coach you know well how much education whether it's formal or not is it's it's level of success is dictated by consuming and regurgitating the information yep. versus understanding information and then applying it yep. right which you know right now i think you you had asked me I'm, I'm taking a course now which i'm always like constantly taking when i love the shit um resistance training uh specialist mastery level course with a guy named tom purvis who's like from an exercise mechanic standpoint, like out of, out of the screen. Um, but when it looks at like the, the latest, you know, chapter we went over is mechanics, lever mechanics. What we see in school is this little, you know, seesaw thing, right? Effort and resistance, right? But when you go on the floor, it don't look like that. And so understanding the concept to a depth that you can apply the concept in, in person, which takes a lot of practice and takes a lot of teaching because in order to teach something, you have to really deeply understand it to help someone else understand it. So that's why teaching is a great way to function to help you learn more. But yeah, those things don't transfer quite often and that takes practice. Right. The um, the experience portion, because um, I, I mean, I, I can kind of attest to this. I For a while, I was a certified trainer and I had gained experience um, via actually training people, but I wasn't necessarily getting much better. I knew I could I could identify things that I didn't know the answers to, but I figured nobody really knew these things. Nobody's smarter than me. <laughs> so <laughs> uh fast forward i find out people are smarter than me i learn things i realize i know nothing <laughs> um and then you know then continue on um but then i could look look back on some of those things and i was like oh this was actually what was happening there and so that experience still proved valuable in the long run um but at that time that experience alone wasn't worth anything um until like well i mean is worth something but 
not as much yeah um until after um which then i was like okay like now now um to shorten the learning curve on that for like my coaches and you know anybody else that i i speak to i'm kind of like hey like this is these are things that are like really common and this is what you're likely to experience and um and it's really around that that point i feel like right when somebody gets their like new nasm cert or new x cert that's when they know everything and that's when you can't tell them anything mm -hmm. um that i kind of like i don't want to pop the bubble i kind of like watch it and then i'm like let's now see like if we can get them into a situation where they could see mm -hmm. like oh there is actually holes in my knowledge yeah without it's, being like dude you don't know what you're talking about um are you familiar with the dunning kruger effect yeah Very. that's where you're at that, that <laughs> mental apex and it's when you get to the point where you go man i don't know i don't know anything that you're actually starting to know something right because man if you look at like like you said a nasm cert and this is no not disparaging with nasm but there's a lot of things that break down massively when you're actually working with people in practice when you look at their principles right that just are silly even yeah. from a terminology standpoint that's not to say it's not worthwhile because it certainly is and for some, a trainer who needs to get insurance they, they have to have a certain that's that's one to do it right but you see that so much and i was on that high after you know going to one of the best schools in the country for exercise science coming out i knew all my shit yeah i knew i knew nothing and the cool thing about learning is when you understand there are innumerable people in this world smarter than me at what i do that i will never know them right. and that that means that i have a lot of people to learn from and that's pretty freaking cool to me right yeah i think it's it's hard when you think that you're like i know everything down to the myofilament layer and the process for contra muscle contraction like there's nothing else to learn um and then uh you realize there were things that you weren't taught in that in yeah. that school and you're like oh well well all right um but even um newly budding trainers um i've i've watched uh do you guys have an la fitness by you yeah okay um, I was at an, an LA fitness and, um, they were having like a weekend trainer certifying thing and I'm watching, like, I'm doing my thing, um, over a different part of the gym, but you can kind of hear what's going on and they're getting all excited and, and doing these like, you know, functional exercises, um, and quote unquote, um, <laughs> and when, <laughs> when LA fitness is talking about functional exercises, it's a exercise where you're pairing two exercises into one exercise it's like a split squat and bicep curl and it's functional because you're going to do that all the time and um, <laughs> it's got to be a bosu ball somewhere yeah um and so the, you know they're doing all these things and i was like you know when are they going to talk about like you know um you know center of mass or you know deviating base support um you know actual stability of any joint structure Mm -hmm. uh, not the stabilize like <laughs> your special stabilizer muscles so um but then and you know then he, he shouts you know you know to the group and he's like you guys feel like trainers and they're like yeah and they're like uh <laughs> like i, I, I mean it's, i do want i do want people 
to to come in um but i just feel like i know that so many will not um leave training better than they found it um they they will um, move to other careers um i want i I want legitimately uh if like how, how often do you hear of like other professions where people go in and they're like you know what more than you know 50 percent of them will not continue to be that you know mm-hmm. um like if somebody went to school for software engineering they're likely to go out and at least do something involving software yeah. um whereas training is something you you can learn over the weekend and then it leaves a bad taste in the mouth of all these other people who hired that trainer who spent lots of money and it makes it hard to find good trainers um and there there are you know there are good places like um i don't know if you've heard of lvl they're um they're like a personal training directory and they're trying to build um credibility in the space um by connecting with um professionals like yourself and and putting them on one network so i mean that's like a maybe that's like an ideal like hey people go here they find a good trainer in their area blah 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 but like, is there anything that we can do as coaches um, to either, you know, a now I'm not saying gatekeep, but like help mm-hmm. to preserve, um, maybe encourage other trainers to have lengthy careers like yourself? Like, are there things that you would suggest that they do so that they can have more success in the long run? I think I think the initial the initial phase is, is asking the question to really find out are they are they passionate about this industry now that might mean they're passionate about helping people um like myself i'm passionate about learning about the stuff i'm really intrigued in it because in order to financially succeed you got to be really fucking good like you got to be good if you really want to be a, a multiple six figure fitness professional and so and that takes time and it can be discouraging for people initially. I remember when I first started, I was, I remember coming back home, like, man, I'm feeling depressed. Like I'm making less than a burger flipper, not disparaging to Burger King or anything, but like, why am I not doing that? Then I spend yeah. X amount of money on schooling and I'm doing this. So it takes time. So you need to enjoy what you do in some fashion in order to be successful. And if you don't have that from the get-go, if you're doing it just because you want to make money, you're not going to be successful. Having the hubris to understand that you need to continuously learn and never stop is going to make someone successful. If you can instill that in somebody to be critical thinkers, to not be someone who just like you take a NASM cert, hey, this is great. But as you start learning from this sanction, that organization, this person, you start to understand there's there's so much nuance to this that you start to have more of an open mind when it comes to different things and exercise, right? You need to have that kind of open mind in learning and hubris to know you're never going to know everything in a, in a want to continuously get better. If you have that and you're passionate, you'll, you'll be successful. But if you stop at NASM, which a lot of people, how many trainers do this and even successful trainers, right? They get a cert, maybe two, and they fill out their schedule. They're 35 to 40 hours a week and they're making money 
and they're good, right? But they never, because of that, they kind of get complacent and they don't continuously learn, right? So inevitably, you may start to lose clients over time because people that hire us, it's through disposable income, right? Right. So you just can't get complacent. Right. And I think the other thing was like, you know, um, clients don't, clients aren't necessarily paying attention to all the details going in like they, they, they wouldn't, they have no reference point for lack mm -hmm. of details. So yeah. um, I, you could tell me that everything that you were doing is industry standard. Yeah. But my experience has been was not that right. Like you're like, this is what everybody should be doing. And I'm like, yeah, like I've hired, I've hired some pretty good coaches yeah. and it's never been like that. And so, um, and maybe that would make their process even better. And it's yeah. not that they're not great coaches still, but that's just one other thing. So, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering, is there something that on the client end, um, they can do to, to, to um ensure like which was what we talked about earlier mm -hmm. um seeing that they they are in shape we're just kind of recapping that seeing that they're in shape seeing that they um yeah they are continuously educating and you you mentioned to the fact that they continue to train uh or they are they have trained people in person well, i think yes. one thing that's important to layer on this and it's kind of like a bigger picture understanding that many people may not think and you kind of have to check yourself as a trainer is what you're doing with an individual always has to be defined by that individual the client is always the person that person who shows up today is the person that you have to serve every human is biased right and so oftentimes as trainers we may impart our personal biases of maybe what we enjoy to do as training what we think is an admirable goal but those are things that have to go out the window when we're working with someone right and i think sometimes people lose that whether it be someone might be very well content with their body composition and they just want to be stronger but a client or a, sorry a coach rather thinks they should be leaner and kind of subconsciously tries to put them in energy deficit lose body mm -hmm. fat they may be trying to do this have this certain physical outcome from their training but the trainer has a bias towards this style of training so they use that style and so checking yourself every once in a while as a trainer to make sure that you truly are serving the best interest of the person that's in front of you right now mm. even though it seems obvious it doesn't always happen that that is actually a beautiful note and that i think actually speaks more to coaching than to just this garnering of uh, education and resources surrounding that so um like actually being a person that cares about your clients is is mm -hmm. a huge portion of yeah. coaching and uh, yeah. likely the uh the whole experience kind of leans on that so absolutely well yeah. i do appreciate you um taking the time uh, to be on i know we've already gone for for quite some time um you've shared lots of information here uh is there a good place that you'd like um if people wanted to learn more about you or more from you for them to check you out yeah and basically social social content is instagram be sick fit 
And uh, my email is for coaching is bsickfit at gmail. Pretty simple. Those are the best ways. If someone truly wants to get a hold of me for my services, email me. Um, but just to look passively at my content, bsickfit or at bsickfit on Instagram. And I'll be sure to link those into the show notes. Awesome. This is good. I love doing it. And then, yeah, you can, with these, I've noticed in the past, you can kind of just keep rolling and that's just how it happens. Right. 